This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of May 15th, 2023. A lot of Jeopardy this week also. We're Mm -hmm. going to talk about the regular season, which had its fair share of drama. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that drama, here's our drama. Emily, how you doing? (laughs) I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I don't have a ton of drama. Somebody accidentally left raw meat in a cabinet of the church. (laughs) Oh, the church. I was thinking in your house and I'm like, there are not very many somebodies to choose from there. Also, we thought our fridge was broken, but it was just turned off this week. That was at my house. That was a a whole situation. But even more of a situation is that somehow someone put raw meat into a cupboard, which we found out when the whole building started to smell. So was it just like, was it just like a pound of hamburger? Like, we don't know. Like, it was so horrible that somebody like put gloves on and like, just sort of arm swept the shelf into a garbage bag. It was really bad. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It was, I want to know more about this, but it was, you I, I clearly um, don't have more yeah, details. I, so. I do not. I do not. My office is up a floor and the other end of the building from the room where this happened. And I walked into my office the next day. I wasn't even in the office when, when they found it. I walked in the next day and was like, is there a mouse in a mouse trap somewhere in this room? Like it was, it was really bad. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so never Fun. a dull moment. Life in the church can be like that. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm fine. No raw meat. Good. Go school. Good. That I know of. Plenty of weird smells, but that's just because we work with teenagers. Yeah. But no, it's it's good. We've got graduation on Tuesday, and then my last day is, as a teacher is on Friday. Congratulations. Things, thank you. Coming to a close. We are all ready for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally everybody at the school, not a single person who's not ready for it. So, well, that's not true. That's not true. I should say the reality is that, that there are actually a lot of a lot of students who do not look forward to breaks because it is mm-hmm. safer or just better for them to be at school than to be at home. Yeah. Which is, of course, unfortunate and hard. But that's the way that it goes. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just kind of wrapping that up. I have to pack up literally everything in my classroom because they're renovating, they're getting a big multi million dollar overhaul of the whole like auditorium and performing arts area mm-hmm. over the summer, which means I have to I have to pack everything and get it ready to move. Oof. And I don't have a small classroom and yeah. I have lots of instruments. Yeah. And wow. over 2,000 pieces of music that are all nicely cataloged and now have to be packed up for moving. Yikes. That's a lot. It is a lot. But I also have teenagers who would rather do that than actual schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So. Checks out. That's the plan for the last week here. Cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. It'll be something. I'll put on a movie. Yeah. Maybe I'll buy them snacks. Who knows? Anyway, that's that's what's going on with me. And then it's summer. Yeah. For me, anyway. 
for you uh, coastal elites, you still have weeks. <laughs> you have so much school left. Let's see. We have one, two, three, four, five more weeks of school. Five more weeks. We do have a five-day Memorial Day weekend now because it was going to be three days, but then we didn't use enough snow days. And we're also off for Juneteenth, which is great. But then we're only back on for three days. Why even bother, you know? Yeah. Just call it there. Just call it there. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. But hey, should we should we talk about Jeopardy? Oh, yeah, I guess. I suppose that's why we're here. So Jeopardy Masters is still happening. The mm-hmm. rest of the semi or quarterfinals is going on, but we're not talking about that here. It was fun to watch, but I don't want to, you know, give too much away. Yeah. Outside of the paywall. So... <laughs> Currently, we haven't given too much away inside of the paywall either, but maybe we will. Hopefully, we will. people outside the paywall don't know that, Emily. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, <laughs> Monday, May 15th, 2023, we have the contestants, Wendy Swanson, a retired teacher from Portland, Oregon. Ben Chan, a philosophy professor from Green Bay, Wisconsin, whose three-day cash winnings total $69,001. Nice. And Hannah Wilson, a data scientist from Chicago, Illinois, whose eight-day cash winnings total $229,801. Oh, Ben's back. You gotta feel really bad for Wendy Swanson here, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like the the person in the worst situation is the third contestant the day they bring back the returning champion who had to not return for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't remember who the third was when Zach Newkirk came back, but like, you just feel really bad for the person in that situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Ben is back after his illness and unfortunately it runs into hannah wilson's run Mm -hmm. so one of them is going home Mm -hmm. and we have the jeopardy round categories new zealand geography ordinal novels dog breed rhyme time sounds spooky defending the title and putting the mmm in yummy with two m's in quotation marks Mm -hmm. dog breed rhyme time was kind of fun a small hunting hound permitted by law. It's a legal beagle. Mm. I like beagles. Um, yeah. That was at the $400 level. Hannah got it. And then Ben got the $1,000 level and adorable Arctic sled dog. That is a cute, cute. Malamute. Malamute. Yeah. There were other clues there, but those two I especially thought were yeah. good clues and good rhymes. Mm-hmm. Friend of mine had a couple of Alaskan Malamutes hmm. when we were in high school. Those were good dogs. They were very big dogs. Yeah. And boy, did they shed. And boy, did they also just like to play with raccoons <laughs> and mm. whatever else they could find. <laughs> let me let me check something before I say it. I I went to look something up and it turns out that I had learned something incorrect. So then I was like, oh, let me let, let me not talk about it. But hey, maybe let me let folks know in case anyone else has come across the same incorrect information as me. In putting the mmm in yummy at the $400 level, ice cream sprinkles also go by this plural name. Ben got that. It is Jimmy's. I had heard that the term Jimmy's was related to Jim Crow. That is a false etymology. That's oh, okay. That's false information that's floating around. Not sure where it originated, but 
that's not the case. And perhaps they are named after James Bartholomew is what I'm seeing here. The employee who ran the first sprinkle making machine Hmm. at Brigham's. Anyway, I had come across the claim that that was, you know, an offensive term and we should go with sprinkles. And uh, turns out the etymology is incorrect. So, yeah. Now we know. Yep. Now we know. Daily Double number one is at the $800 level of Sound Spooky. Pick number 13, Ben finds it. He's at 4600 with Hannah at 1200 and Wendy at 400 He wagers 3000 and he gets the clue. There are three species of this mammal, which uses echolocation and feeds on livestock. And he gets that one correct. Uh, he starts by saying, what are bats? And then I think figures out there must be more than three species of bats and goes on to be more specific without a prompt. Vampire bats is what we're looking for here. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Hannah's at 4,000, Ben is at 11,800, Wendy is at 1,200. The double Jeopardy categories are in the neighborhood, close elections, quick opera, scientists, watching the detectives, and special delivery with special in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Is quick opera quick because the clues are kind of short? I why is it Why is guess it quick? I... like, on average, slightly shorter than... The other clues. I don't see what else. Yeah, because I I would have to do some research. I don't know off the top of my head, but I don't think Madam Butterfly is particularly short. I don't think Pagliacci is particularly short. The $1,600 clue, the myth about this great singer, is a natural opera subject. And in 2021, Juilliard revived a 1647 Italian version. Ben got it right. That's Orpheus. Uh, Orfeo is the first opera. Mm-hmm. So that one's probably shorter. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to get a Verdi opera that's short. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it's called quick opera other than they just didn't want to just call it opera. Yeah. Maybe when, yeah. when the writers are not on strike, they can, you know, the writers who listen can let us know why they chose that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They should. Mm-hmm. The the absolute certainty that the writers listen. <laughs> I, I mean, if we do. say it enough, it'll become true. If, right. Even if it's not already. Okay. The $1,200 clue of scientist. Ichthyologist Eugenie Clark discovered the Moses Souls natural one of these, which makes old jaws flail around and go fetal. That was a triple stumper because apparently it's shark repellent. I thought that was just like a comic books joke. Is shark repellent a real thing? I mean, I guess it must be. I just thought shark repellent was like this absurd fake thing that would never be real in real life. Mm hmm. I'm confused now. And that also seems like one of those things that maybe, you know, you're entirely in control of whether you're going to need that or not. Yeah. Like bug repellent. That's just if you go outside. Shark repellent is like, I'm specifically diving into shark infested waters. (laughs) And I, I I can guarantee that you don't need to go there. Yeah. I mean, the fish may not have within its control. It repels shark through its secretions. The best understood factor is pardaxin acting as an irritant to the shark's gills. Hmm. Wild. Yeah. Imagine being the first fish to evolve that. Yeah. Like all your buddies getting snapped up and then it's coming at you and you're like, <laughs> ah! and then it just kind of like flops around. Yeah. Swims away. Mm-hmm. 
become the most popular fish in school. Pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, in school. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Daily double number two is in the quick opera category at the twelve hundred dollar level. It's pick number seven, and Ben finds it. Man, he just was in control of the game. He's up to seventeen thousand four hundred. Hannah's only at four thousand, and Wendy's at twelve hundred. He wagers seven thousand. The clue is three ladies give Tamino this title item, but no lessons. And he gets it correct with what is the magic flute. Mm-hmm. And Ben also finds Daily Double number three, pick number nine at the $1,600 level of In the Neighborhood. So he's found all three. He's at 26400 at this point. Hannah's at 4000 Wendy's at 1200 He wagers 3000 and he gets the clue. Acorn Street is one of the most historic in the Boston neighborhood called This Hill after a warning light that once stood there. And he gets it correct. It is Beacon Hill. Oof, man. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Wendy's at 4,400, Hannah's at 6,800, and Ben is at 41,000. Yeah. I mean, that is that is a just a thorough drubbing. Mm-hmm. The final jeopardy category is publications, and the clue is the co-founder of this magazine that began in 1967 said its name comes primarily from a song title, but noted a band name as well. This is, I would think, a fairly gettable one. Everyone got it. They put what is... Rolling Stone, Wendy wagered forty two hundred. Hannah wagered sixty seven ninety nine, and Ben wagered nineteen thousand. So he wins with a nice even sixty thousand. And man, when it's a buzzer thing, like only one person can get in. But oof, I mean, we know how strong a player Hannah is, and we'll see her again in the tournament of champions. But like, yeah, ooh, man, yeah, Ben. Anyway, yeah, we're on to Tuesday. Yes. So Tuesday, our contestants are Lydia Claire Kerrigan, a web development team lead from Lafayette, Texas. Tom Linearski, a media strategist from Briarcliff Manor, New York. That's pretty close to me. And Ben Jan, a philosophy professor from Green Bay, Wisconsin, whose four-day cash winnings total $129,001. And the Jeopardy round categories are Chillin' in the RIP Lounge, Poe Places, forgotten that one automotive alliteration college the drop ad period pop metal bands Mayim said you'll name each group from the lyric we quote but it's just they provide the lyric you you name the group group. and b is the first letter which is i don't know that's that's that category title is just so on the nose yeah (laughs) like oh it just literally is b is the first letter there's no yep. joke there. Mm-hmm. B is actually the second letter. What? That was an alphabet joke. <laughs> How dare you? Blowing my mind. The uh, RIP lounge category, the $200 level was because I could not stop for death. Yep. Mm-hmm. He kindly stopped for me. Me being this poet. On May 15th, 1886 in Amherst, that's Emily Dickinson. Talked about her. And then the $1,000 level. There was no more scrubbing in for this pioneer of antiseptic surgery after February 10th, 1912. That's Joseph Lister. Mm-hmm. Who have I also talked about? Yes. Also, you did a whole deep dive on Edgar Allan Poe, who we covered in the whole Poe Places, po places. category. Yeah. Yes. This was a, a good board for our listeners, I hope. Mm-hmm. If they have been paying attention, which I'm <laughs> yes. sure they have. To our extensive knowledge of pop music. Although, I will say I got most of these. I couldn't remember Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. But the, I actually got the other four. Nice. Thanks. 
It's because they're not new. <laughs> Recent pop music, I'm useless. These yeah. are all old enough that I know them. There is a gap in my pop music knowledge from about when I graduated college to when I downloaded the TikTok onto my phone. <laughs> Just a little gap there. <laughs> it is weird that TikTok has been helpful for that for me. But right. yeah, that seems to be helping some. There's no wrong way to know something. Yep. Although, you know, when I say that out loud, I realize there probably are some wrong ways to know things. Yeah, there, there may be. Don't necessarily want to elaborate on that. All right, Daily Double number one is in the college, the drop ad period. So all of these were like add something or take something away from the name of a college or university. And to get the right answer, this was at the $400 level. Pick number 28, very late in the round. Ben finds it. He's at 6,400. Tom is actually ahead at 6,600. And Lydia Claire is at 3,000. Surprising to me coming from the Monday game. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That it's so close. Ben wagered everything, which is, as we, I think, have said many times, probably the right move. And gets the clue in Colorado, add this armed service to Academy. And he gets correct with what is Air Force. Mm -hmm. Good old Air Force Academy out here, Colorado Springs. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben has taken quite a lead. He's at 13,200. Thomas at 6,600. Lydia Claire is at 3,200. Gets the double jeopardy categories, heaven on earth, women, world leaders, animals, don't go anywhere, twists, and turns. Mm-hmm. $1,600 level of animals. The name star-nosed this mammal sounds lovely. Describing that nose as 22 fleshy pink tentacles in a star-like pattern. Bless. Mm -hmm. That is a mole, a star-nosed mole. Tom got that one. And a star-nosed mole is an unsettling-looking animal. It's not cute. <laughs> yeah, it's unsettling, yeah. I think, is what it I should, will say about that. It should that. remain below the Earth. Yes. As part of the coding courses I'm taking, I made a simple point-and-click game where you feed worms to star-nosed moles. It is That's horrifying. It's, and... it's like cutely drawn Okay. They're like adorable little with actual like stars as they're. Oh, stars. okay. All right. Not, not like you shove a worm into the fleshy <laughs> tentacles. It's like, that's a choice. That's... But creating. But that a would game. also be a fun game to make. Yeah. The $2,000 clue of Heaven on Earth was in 312 AD. Heaven came to Earth for this emperor in the form of a crucifix in the sky labeled by the symbol, You Will Conquer. Lady Claire got it. That's Constantine. That was a clue in my first Jeopardy game. Mm. Similar. Yeah. Similar. We had to name what Constantine saw in the sky. Yeah. I recall Monica That's... missed it and I got the rebound. Mm hmm. I wonder how long. I imagine my whole life we will remember like the specific things we got right on Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. It's just a big, real big moment, you know? Yeah. I think still nobody's gotten Chumbawamba, except for me. <laughs> I don't know that it's been asked yet. <laughs> I think you do hold that unique distinction. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it hasn't come up since 2018, which I don't know why not. It's a great I song. Do. <laughs> I do. Would you care to tell us all why not, Kyle? <laughs> because they would have to ask the same exact question, which I realize yeah. they don't shy away from at Jeopardy, but... Uh -huh. 
how many times before 2018 did it come up? Twice. Uh, so give it another... Once in 1998 and once in 2009. So I guess we're doing about five years. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Wait till season you know, 45 and it'll be time to bring it back. Yeah. I look forward to it, but also I don't because I, if they if they keep asking the question, eventually somebody besides me will answer it correctly. Yeah, and then it's not yours anymore. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in Don't Go Anywhere at the $2,000 level. Tom finds it is pick number 12. He has 11,800. Ben has 18,000. Lydia Claire has 4,400. Solid scores. Tom wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. There's a light fixture in this word meaning settled and not going anywhere. And he can't come up with anything. Ensconced is what they're looking for here. Mm. Yep. And daily double number three is in heaven on earth at the $1,200 level. Pick number 16, Ben uncovers it. He is up to 21,200. Tom is at 4,800. Lydia Claire is at 4,400. He wagers a mere 2,000. The clue is this Parisian avenue is named for a paradise of Greek myth. It's less heavenly these days since it's clogged by traffic. Mm-hmm. And he gets it correct with what is the Champs Elysees. Yes. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Ben has a lock game again. Less of a lead this time, 26,400, with Lydia Claire at 11,200 and Tom at 5,200, but a lock game nevertheless. The final Jeopardy category is authors, and the clue is, in 1960, Jean-Paul Sartre wrote of this man's victorious attempt to snatch every instant of his existence from his future death. This was a tricky one. Tom... I guess started writing in the very last second and started to write who was Jerry Garcia. He didn't finish it, but that is, of course, not correct. <laughs> With a $5,000 wager, he drops down to 200 Lydia Claire started to write who is Sisyphus. Also not correct. She wagered 8800 dropping her down to 2400 She'll finish in second place. And Ben figured it out. Who is Camus? Mayim elaborates Sartre's sometime friend, sometime rival, had died in a car wreck at age 46. Hmm. And Ben wagered 1599 To get rid of his $1 at the end of his winnings, I think. Ah. Yeah. Maybe? <laughs> didn't want to um, didn't want to pull a Matamodio and have the $1 hanging out. If he if he misses, he drops down to Twenty four thousand eight hundred and one, which is more than he needs. Yeah, he could have wagered another couple thousand here, right? Yeah, but so I don't know if he was trying to keep it small or if he messed up his math. He had room to make the wager a little bit bigger and didn't. But in any case, that gives him twenty seven thousand nine hundred ninety nine, and his fifth win. So he is certainly on his way to the tournament of champions. Yes. Glad yeah. to see. I mean, yeah, he clearly is a TOC caliber player. Oh, yes, absolutely. So good. To, yeah. Good mm-hmm. that he got that opportunity. Yeah. So on Wednesday, we get the contestants David Liu, a male processing clerk from Los Angeles, California. Brittany Segrin, a nurse practitioner from Bourbonnet, Illinois. And Ben Chan, a philosophy professor from Green Bay, Wisconsin, whose five-day cash winnings total around $157,000. And we have the Jeopardy Round categories. Great Brits, X in the city with X in quotation marks, pantomime horse. That's our motto. You know, the movie where dot, dot, dot. And we're full of questions. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not sure I understand the category titled pantomime horse. Is there something I'm missing? I also don't, other than horse is in the clues. I don't know the pantomime horse. Okay, it has a Wikipedia article, a theatrical representation of a horse by two actors in a single costume. But like, I don't see what that has to do with anything. Yes. Me neither. Yeah. I mean, these were terms that that involved horse somehow. Horses, but the pantomime doesn't seem to. Two people in a horse suit and fava beans, also known as horse beans, have in common that they're not really a horse, but like. Yeah, I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Maybe there's something I'm missing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the writers write 300 clues a week. Yeah, that's plus. true. Yeah. Sometimes it's going to miss a little bit. That's yeah. Right. The $200 level of, you know, the movie where the clue was a farmer plays baseball with a dead guy, time travels and ends up owning a tourist trap. David rings in and says, what is a league of their, what is, uh, and he starts to correct himself and Mayim rules him incorrect. And then as she's ruling him incorrect, he says field of dreams, but he'd already been ruled incorrect. So that stood. And then Ben got the rebound with field of dreams. He, yeah, he didn't finish the title. Right. Yeah, I like should have been given a chance. Yeah, I think that she jumped in with the ruling maybe a little too quickly here. Yeah, I agree. Especially because he was clearly about to correct himself. I don't think his timer had timed out, you know, so yeah, it seemed like a little bit of a goof to me. Yeah, it ultimately didn't end up making a difference. So that's OK. Yeah. But- mm-hmm. Yeah, he had another tough miss at the $800 level of we're full of questions. If you remember the Talking Heads song, Psycho Killer, you know this is French for what is it? He said, Qu'est-ce If I heard correctly, he added like an S-K like combo sound. The, mm-hmm. the way you spell Qu'est-ce does not look like... <laughs> the way it's pronounced? Shocking with French. Shocking. I never would have thought that. Right. So like the way that it's spelled and and with Jeopardy's commitment to taking a response where you clearly know how to spell the word, but don't know how to pronounce it, Mm -hmm. you know, so like you could say quest, right, or something like that, and and they'd have to take it. But he almost had it, you know, they couldn't take that. That was too bad. I have no problem with the ruling. I just I was already feeling bad for him because he'd had a rough ruling already. Right. Right. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in That's Our Motto at the $800 level, and Ben finds it pick number four. He's at $1,400 with Brittany at 1000 David is at zero. He wagers 1000 and he gets the clue of this Massachusetts University translating from Hebrew, truth even unto its innermost parts. He tries what is MIT, but they're looking for Brandeis. It's historical association with Judaism, and you don't get a whole lot of Hebrew mottos at American colleges and universities, in my experience. So I think that's the clue you were supposed to figure out. Sure. Yeah. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben is at 8,400, Brittany's at 3,200, David's at 2,000. The double Jeopardy categories are podcasts, U.S. presidential elections, scientific devices and instruments, poems with them in quotation marks recent pop music and jeopardy after dark Ooh. 
getting spicy. Yeah. I liked those because they were they were actually not they, they're <laughs> not like spicy at all. <laughs> yeah, but like sort of close. Right, the $400 level throwing unlikely people together various situations including adversity and politics have been said to make strange thieves that's bedfellows which, you know, isn't mm-hmm. a dirty word but could be. Yeah. The $2,000. This name for a Beethoven symphony is the sexy <laughs> section of the bookstore with one letter removed. I'd say, I'd say that's a rook. I'd, I'd, say his, I'd say his third symphony is pretty sexy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Only on Jeopardy are you like, it's the spicy stuff. That's right. Beethoven <laughs> symphony with a name that sounds almost like erotica. Yeah. <laughs> were you going to talk about Will Wheaton? I actually was. The $2,000 level of podcasts. Were. I enjoy Will Wheaton. He does a lot of just nerdy stuff, geeky stuff. So mm-hmm. if you look into what he's been up to, I like Will Wheaton. Also, he was on Celebrity Jeopardy and did really well, which, mm-hmm. you know, if that's where you've seen him, then great. But he had a, a clue. The clue is I play a chef at a restaurant called Tourniquet on the podcast. Welcome to this strange town where stranger things happen. That's Night Vale. I enjoy that podcast. I, I think mm-hmm. I've talked about Welcome to Night Vale before. Yeah, it's a good podcast. I don't listen all that often, but I I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. It gets a bit much if you kind of binge it. I think it's more effective if you do take it in a much more like episodic way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I I very much enjoy Night Vale. Strangely, um, Potent Potables wasn't mentioned in this category, which I thought serious oversight. Brittany had a couple of missed guesses on recent pop music that suggested her exposure to pop music is maybe less recent, I thought. Let's see. At the $800 level, this Drake song asks, Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? Brittany tried What is Riding Dirty, which is from 2005. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 18 mm-hmm. years ago. 18. 18 years. Yep. and david tried what is hotline bling in my feelings was the title that they were looking for there yeah at least hotline bling is a drake song yeah writing dirty is uh, shoot who is that chameleonaire yeah yep yep clearly we're good at this pop music thing yeah great at pop music and then they had a picture at the 1600 dollar level and the clue control and sos are albums by her seen here Brittany guessed who is brandy is brandy doing anything uh, not that i know of not for a while i don't think yeah it's, it's, it's been a minute but you know she also was doing great in the 90s into early 2000s mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. <laughs> britney's guesses were not recent but they were familiar to me so i yeah. found it very relatable yeah daily double number two is in the U.S. presidential elections category at the $1,200 level. Ben finds it at pick number five. He's up to 13200 Brittany's at 3200 and David is at zero. He would use 5000 and got the clue. In 1852, this political party nominated war hero General Winfield Scott, its last candidate for the top job, before disbanding. And he gets correct with what is the Whig Party. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is at the $1,600 level of podcasts. Ben finds it. Pick number 19. 
he wagers just five dollars of his twenty thousand six hundred. Brittany is at two thousand. David's at eight hundred. I guess Ben's not a big podcast fan. Maybe mm-hmm. he gets the clue. Season one, episode six of this Sarah Koenig hosted podcast was called "The Case Against Adnan Syed," and he does know this podcast. It is serial. It's because he's a Jeopardy fan. Yeah, and he remembers it from a certain tournament of champions semifinal game. Yep. You got that one, right? You got, got that, that one. one. Yes. That's... Yes, I remember. Yes. Brought me into a tie with Emma. Very short-lived tie. That was a good moment, though. I remember. Oh, yes. Yeah. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Ben is at $24,205. Brittany's at 400 She's had a bit of a drop-off, and, and David is at 1200 And the final Jeopardy category is U.S. National Memorials. And the clue, efforts recently began to reintroduce two species of oyster to help restore the contaminated waters of this, a national memorial. And Brittany got it correct with what is Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And apparently the oysters are supposed to help with the oil leaking from the USS Arizona. Mm. Didn't know that oysters could do that. Brittany wagered 399. David missed it with what is Three Mile Island. I don't know that Three Mile Island is a memorial. There would be contaminated waters. It's not not bad. Mm -hmm. And Ben got it correct with what is Pearl Harbor. Wagered 795. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) Get yourself back up to a nice round Mm 25,000. So that's five lock games, I believe, for Ben. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So Thursday, our contestants are Kristen Beck, a physician from Seattle, Washington. John Groves, a legislative technical specialist originally from Forto, Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. And Ben Chan, a philosophy professor from Green Bay, Wisconsin, whose six-day cash winnings total $182,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are on a visit to the state capitol, restaurants, magazines, the arts, the world of Hanna-Barbera, and before and actor. The only triple stumper in the state capital category was the $600 level, Camelback Mountain, and the Desert Botanical Garden. Desert should point you to one of a handful of options, but uh, Camelback Mountain is a major landmark there in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I was born in Phoenix, back to Phoenix many times. I've climbed oh, I Camelback think I Mountain. I knew that. Yeah. And it looks like a camel's back, which is why it's called Camelback Mountain. There is also a Camelback Mountain ski area in Pennsylvania, which briefly led me astray. And then I was like, absolutely not, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not Harrisburg. Nope. (laughs) Yeah, it is not in Harrisburg. And Desert Botanical Garden certainly is not (laughs) anywhere in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is lots of things, but it's not a desert. It is not a desert. (laughs) There was a mention in restaurants at the $600 level of a restaurant in Montreal Au Noir, where all the dining takes place in this unique situation. John got it. It's in the dark. I have not been to that restaurant, but when we were in Amsterdam, we went to a restaurant with the same, you know, same. Yeah. All of the wait staff are blind at the Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. It was a really interesting experience. Yeah. Very cool. The $1,000 level of the world of Hanna-Barbera. This Mm. character has come up in numerous trivia games for me, and I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone get it correct. So, like, let's all all learn it. (laughs) 
Well, I guess uh, I know what my deep dive is on. Yeah, I hope so. The $1,000 level Heavenster Murgatroyd was a catchphrase of this pink mountain lion. Kristen, guess who is the pink panther? Snagglepuss. I'm not sure I have encountered Snagglepuss in a non-trivia setting. Um, not, not like from watching the cartoons? I mean, I've watched some Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but again, I don't think I've seen those ones. I can't do a good Snagglepuss voice, so I'm not going to try it, but I can hear it in my head, you know? Yeah. I can think of at least like this Jeopardy episode and then like at least two kind of pub trivia settings where nobody could come up with Snagglepuss. So hmm. I'm going to make a note of it. Yeah. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the arts at the $1,000 level. Pick number four, Ben uncovers it. He's up to 1800 John and Kristen are both at zero. He wagers it all. Gets a clue. Psychoanalysts used drawings by this painter in his own therapy sessions from 1939 to 1941. And he guesses who is Lucien Freud? Lucien Freud? Went the wrong way. Should have gone with more from the artist than the psychoanalysis part. That's Jackson Pollock. Mm Mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock. Lucien Freud was a British painter. That is a deep Yeah, good. Ben knows too much, apparently. Like, yeah. That's the problem there. The grandson of Sigmund Freud. Huh. Yeah, which I think is where he came from. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. The fact that he knows it, yeah. yeah. Having that I, knowledge is impressive. I thought I was so clever thinking of Rorschach. Mm. That is also clever. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben is at 7,800. John is at 1,600. Kristen is at 1,000. And the double Jeopardy categories are international movies, question mark, flags of Spanish-speaking nations, organizations it all starts with you you in quotations history and repeats itself mm-hmm. that's fun the two thousand dollar level of repeats itself yes. beware the jabberwock my son and also this bird not found in any ornithological books we've encountered that was a triple stumper it is the jub jub bird and let's all just memorize jabberwocky because mm-hmm. it comes up a lot it comes up a lot it's not that long of a poem. Just memorize that one. <laughs> it's a little hard to memorize because of all the nonsense words. Yeah. That like you have to specifically memorize the nonsense words rather than just like remember what it's saying. Like what it right. means, you know? Yes. But. Then somebody might ask you what a snickersnee is just as an example yeah, of something example that could that happen. Could happen on a TV show mm-hmm. like Jeopardy. Yep. That's exactly right. And if you've memorized Jabberwocky for some reason, then you'll know. Yep. I always to keep talking about that. The next line after the Jub Jub Bird is shun the frumious bandersnatch. Uh-huh. And I'm always like, what do you mean shun? Like it's trying to talk to you and you just like, <laughs> t- like you give it the cold shoulder. Like, is it this monster <laughs> that's just trying to have a conversation and you're just uh-huh. like, nope. You don't let it sit at your lunch table. <laughs> that's right. That is the thing that defeats it. <laughs> Does that just mean that, like, that really annoying coworker who won't shut up is a Bandersnatch? Mm, I guess it must be. And I guess if you don't think there's a Bandersnatch at your work, that means you're the Bandersnatch. <laughs> anyway, international movies was just movie titles with a country in their title. Mm-hmm. The Boys from Brazil, Good Morning Vietnam, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in organizations at the $1,200 level. Pick number nine. Ben finds this one as well. He's at 17800 with John at 800 and Kristen at 1000 He wagers 4000 
and gets the clue as the first president to address this group, Truman said we can't afford a leisurely attack upon prejudice and discrimination. And he gets it correct. It's the NAACP. Mm -hmm. And Daily Double number three is in repeats itself at the $1,200 level. That's pick number 18. Ben also finds this one. He's very good at finding the Daily Doubles also because he just controls the board pretty much the whole game. Right. Yeah. He's up to 20. Yeah. He's up to 26,200. John's at 3,600. Kristen's at 1,000. He wagers just 800. And the clue is, in an Ian Fleming tale, the title vehicle makes these four sounds after it is started for the first time. And he gets it correct with what is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. He, Every he, time. He worked through this one to the very yeah. last second. Yeah, you could yeah. see him almost give up. I, I've been impressed watching him work through. And like I think this was the one where I saw him like, like it, his lips moved as he like read it back to himself because he was getting stuck. Mm-hmm. And then at the very last second, he he figured it out. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is not similar to the other works that Ian Fleming is known for. No, it is. It is. <laughs> unless what if that is actually it is a James Bond novel and we just haven't realized it yet. Yeah. So... At the end of the double Jeopardy round, Ben is once again in a locked position with 31,000. John's at 4,400. Kristen is at 4,600. The final Jeopardy category is Billboard number one hits. And the clue is Billy Joel said, I think the one time I didn't write the music before the lyrics was for this 1989 hit. And I think it shows. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Yeah. John got it correct with what is We Didn't Start the Fire and a $201 wager trying to get above Kristen. Kristen tried Uptown Girl and a $199 wager trying to stay above John if he should miss, but he didn't. So they trade places basically. And Ben has it correct as well and a zero wager from Ben for this one. So he finishes with 31,000 and his seventh win. Jeez. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. Unstoppable. Uh Until he has stopped, of course. Yeah. Once he's got that lock position, you can start to see kind of what categories he likes or feels comfortable in and which ones he doesn't. Um, You know, sometimes he's, he's got room to play and he makes the big wager. And sometimes he's like, nope, $5. (laughs) The the minimum I'm allowed. Yep. Yeah. And on Friday, we get the contestants Chris Hammer, a teacher from McKinney, Texas, Erica Johnson, a stay at home mom from Greenbelt, Maryland, and Ben Chan, a philosophy professor from Green Bay, Wisconsin, whose seven day cash winnings total $213,000. It's a lot more than I made in seven days. Yeah. Jeopardy round categories are some of the Ten Commandments from the Book of Exodus and the King James Bible. Thank you for clarifying. Mayam. On a first-name basis with booze. Hooray for Hollywood. Those balls have eyes. Multiple meanings and gates. I... What are we doing? I don't... I don't... I don't... (laughs) If that is a reference to something, I do not know what that reference is. Those balls have eyes. I don't... I... The letter I is in quotation marks. So, there's an I in it, I guess. This is a category about types of balls, like billiard balls. Yeah. Or it, yeah. the brand. The yeah. brands are in the higher value clues, and the type yeah. of ball is in the lower value uh-huh. clues. It's a weird category title, Bull- though. It reminded yeah. me of the hills have eyes, but 
it's not quite close enough for it to really work. Yeah. I I do not get it. Yeah. Sorry, I am, Jeopardy writers. I'm they, not. <laughs> they just not, wanted to make us all a little uncomfortable today. I think so. I'm just not picking up what you're laying down. They yeah. knew a strike was coming. They're like, let's get this out there. <laughs> let's get this out there when we're not at work anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking up the exact wording of the Ten Commandments in the King James version. Hmm. Yeah. The $800 level, thou shalt not do this shenanigan with the name of the Lord thy God. And Erica got that one. She said, take thy name in vain. Thy doesn't really fit there, but the King James Version it says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Mm. And so the blank that they are asking you to fill in actually is split like across the quotation, right? And so figuring out how to phrase that is tricky, right? Do you just say, take in vain? Do you, right? right? Do you like say the whole quotation? So thy, of course, is a second person pronoun. And like the section is not like addressed to God. It's God addressing. So like, it's not really thy name. It's his name. But God's name. I mean, they they clearly mm. weren't looking for the exact quotation. Yeah. So I think I think it's okay. Right. She got the right um, words in there. Yeah. But given that they were very persnickety about like from King James and like using quotation marks, sure. I could see getting a little worried about what are they going to require exactness on. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I enjoyed Ben's response at the $800 level of multiple meanings. It was correct, but he seemed sort of tentative, but also amused or something. I don't know. The clue was if something has this type of smell, it's rotten. If music has this type of sound, it's got a danceable rhythm. Ben got it with what is funky? Funky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then they missed a $1,000 level below that. Which, I mean, it's it's good not to get these things mixed up. They showed a picture. Each of these items here is this with a different preceding word. They showed a chicken tender and some money. So Mm -hmm. that's tender, legal tender or chicken tender. Yeah, chicken tender and legal tender. I thought that was fun. They are not the same. Yeah. I do spend a lot of my legal tender on chicken tenders because, you know, parenting. Sure, yeah. They are interchangeable, I will will agree. (laughs) Yeah. You should not eat one of them. Mm-hmm. And you should not try to jam one of them into a vending machine. That's true. Daily Double number one is in Those Balls Have Eyes. <laughs> Still weird at the $600 level. <laughs> ben finds it. It's pick number 21. He's at 4,000 with Erica at 3,000 and Chris at 400. He makes it a true Daily Double. And he gets the clue. In addition to its volleyballs, this company has been making the official NFL football since 1941. And Ben actually incorrectly guessed this at the $800 level. So now it's time for it. He had like sort of a triumphant gesture as the clue came out, but he still kind of took his time to check Mm -hmm. himself and make sure he was correct. He's a very deliberate player. And then he correctly responds, what is Wilson? So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben is at 10,400, Erica's at 3,600, Chris is at 1,400, and the double Jeopardy categories are Sweet 1616, Literary Mismatches, The Human Body, Hip Hop Names, Anagrams, and Gates, the 
Jeopardy round was Gates, G-A-T-E-S, like the Brandenburg Gate. And this is Gates, G-A-I-T-S, like, like walking, wa- walking. Like ways that you yeah. walk, yeah. Yeah. We had a triple stumper, an unfortunate triple stumper at the $1,600 level in a Monty Python sketch. John Cleese, working in this government office, grants Michael Palin a research fellowship on La Marche Futile. Chris responded, what is the office of Silly Walks? Erica tried to get a rebound with what is the office of funny walks. Chris had the silly walks part correct, but it's the ministry of silly walks. Yeah. The ministry of silly walks. Yeah. Ben didn't attempt that one. So close, close, but not quite. But not quite. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the anagrams. Yes. I know sometimes they try to make the anagrams sort of relevant to the correct response. This was not. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a colonizer like Cortez, cartoon squid. <laughs> and now I'm picturing cartoon squids, like meeting the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. I, I got a kick out of all of those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those were good ones. I got a kick out of mild mannered Ben knowing a whole bunch of the hip hop names clues. <laughs> he's done his study (laughs) he's he's studied he's studied he's familiar with flow (laughs) rider the beastie boys the two thousand dollar level hip-hop's 50th birthday in 2023 is based on the august 11th 1973 party dj'd by clive campbell who used this name from a mythical strongman and ben got that one who is dj cool herc dj cool herc yeah Is 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 that a name that you knew it is a name that I knew. Have I not uh, talked about that? Have I not talked about the history of hip hop on the podcast? I don't think you have. I've taught whole units on the history of hip hop. Wow. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's really cool. Mm, cool. Anyway, yeah, DJ Cool Herc, considered the first hip hop artist. Mm-hmm. Or first hip hop DJ, I should say. Yeah. Anyway, Ben got three of those hip hop names, so that was fun yeah. to see. Yeah, it's always interesting to be like do you get down with this in your spare time? Are you just, are you just listening to this? Yeah. Like, or is this, or is this you, just did you, a, did you study this for the purpose of jeopardy or is this something that you just knew? Yeah. Cause you're yeah, into that. Were you just looking over the charts and going to Spotify playlists to try and get good at this? Yeah. Yeah. Daily double number two is in the sweet 1616 category at the $1,600 level. It's only pick number two in the round. Ben finds it. He's at 11200 Eric is at 3600 Chris is at $1,400. Uh, he wagers 4000 He gets a clue. This navigator explored the Canadian Bay that alliteratively bears his name. And he went for an alliterative explorer and said, who is Henry Hudson? But it's mm-hmm. William Baffin for Baffin right. Bay. Yes, it alliterates with bay. It does. Not, not, with its, not with itself. Yeah. And daily double number three is pick number 12 at the $1,200 level of literary mismatches. Ben finds this one as well. He's at 13,600 with Erica at 4,400 and Chris at 2,200. He wagers 6,000 this time. And he gets the clue Nora Ephron's novel about the end of a marriage bemoans mysteries like neuritis, neuralgia, acid indigestion, and this title condition and he can't come up with anything they're looking for heartburn here so he loses ten thousand on daily doubles in the double jeopardy round yeah and still still. going into final he has a lock 
At 12,400, which is not not normally a lock position. Eric is only at 4,800 and Chris is at 3,400. Yeah. But the fact that he controlled the game anyway meant that they didn't get much of a chance to build big scores. Uh, the final Jeopardy category is the USA. And the clue is people going north on this route say they're traveling game. An acronym regarding their beginning and ending points. Chris got it correct. He wrote, what is the Appalachian Trail? And wagered $32.99. Erica also wrote, what is the Appalachian Trail? Although left the last A out, but that looks like Appalachian to me. And wagered everything. And Ben also got it correct with a wager of $2,400. And he goes up to $14,800 and wins his eighth game. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the week. So he'll be back on Monday, unless, of course, he's not. Which, you know, obviously you can't control when you get sick. But we've we've been burned before by Ben. Yeah. <laughs> he might just leave us hanging again. <laughs> but we hope he doesn't. Or at least I hope he doesn't. Yeah. And so this is the point in the episode where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. I believe that for at least the last two weeks, we have put up the quiz questions. Mm-hmm. We're almost like real deal people who do this yeah something so that is where i'm going to direct you if you want to support us financially you can go there to slide us a few bucks a month and help with the cost of maintaining the podcast and of course if you believe that your money should go to something a little bit more important then we encourage you to check out the show notes where we have some organizations that we believe do good work yeah that you can look into Mm-hmm. Emily. Yes, Kyle. Tell the kind folks what we're talking about. Are we talking about William Baffin? We are not talking about William Baffin. Okay. Are, are we talking about Jabberwocky? We are talking about yes. Jabberwocky. Good, because I hadn't figured out a third guess yet. <laughs> the $2,000 level of repeats itself on the Thursday game is not actually like the correct response is not Jabberwocky. It's the Jub Jub. But. That's not figured, a real bird. So like, how would you, I mean, you know, right. I mean, I mean, I can look into it. I mean, Jabberwocky is not a real thing either, but yeah. we're going to talk about Jabberwocky, the poem. We're going to talk about a little bit around it and talk about a few of the different ways that it has shown up in other media because it is, it, it certainly has captured people's imagination and it has been a thing that kind of resurfaces every so often. So you mentioned that you memorized Jabberwocky. I Do did, you feel yes. confident enough in your memorization to rattle it off for us? Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the, I don't know how to pronounce these things, momo wraiths outgrabe. Beware the jub, no, beware the jabberwock, my son, there we go. The teeth that bite. The jaws that bite. The jaws that bite. The claws that clash. Catch. 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 Yeah. Should have memorized it better or more recently. <laughs> Is it beware? Beware the jub jub bird mm-hmm. and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the man. How would you pronounce it? Mangsome. Mangsome. Foe he sought. So rested he by the tum tum tree and stood a while in thought. And as in. Is it offish? It is offish. As, and as an uffish thought, he stood. The Jabberwock with eyes of flame came 
whiffling through the Tulgy wood and chortled as it came. Burbled as it came. Burbled. Oh, chortled is later. That's important. Yeah, burble. Burbled as it came? That's what it says. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. It's been it's been a minute since I recited the whole thing. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal sword? Blade? Blade. Blade went snicker snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, kalu kale, he chortled in his joy. Twas railing in the slithy toves, did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the momo writes out grape. Nice. There you go. Well done. There were some uh, slips. There were some slips, but you know what? I'm going to give you five bonus points for that. <laughs> nice. Because you answered another question correctly. Yeah. So there it is. There it is. Jabberwocky. One pronunciation. I will point out. It is apparently pronounced gyre in the poem because. At the time, if you were talking about like a gyroscope or something, you pronounced it gyroscope, huh. at least in England. So okay. the intention there was to pronounce it with a hard G. Good to um, know. Yeah. So that's that is the poem. It is, of course, a nonsense poem. It was written by Lewis Carroll. I'm not going to dive into who Lewis Carroll was. I'll just give you a quick information. Born January 27th, 1832. Died January 14th. 1898. His real name is Charles Ludwig Dodgson, obviously best known for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, which was its sequel. The Jabberwocky appeared in its entirety in the 1871 novel Through the Looking Glass, or the longer term is Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There, also known as Alice Through the Looking Glass. That was published in December 1871. And it is a sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland from 1865. So the main character, Alice, once again, enters a fantastical world. But in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, she follows the white rabbit down a rabbit hole and ends up in Wonderland, you know, doing her Wonderland things. I'm not going to go through everything that happens in Alice in Wonderland because that's not super relevant. But Jabberwocky and a little bit of Through the Looking Glass actually appears in the Disney movie, Alice in Wonderland. So she gets into Through the Looking Glass by going up to a mirror and realizing that she can pass through it to the other side. Through the Looking Glass has 12 chapters. The first one is where she finds herself entering the reflection world. She goes through the looking glass and everything is mirrored. On the other side, that's where she finds a book with looking glass poetry, which has Jabberwocky in it, and it's printed in reverse. So she realizes she can read it by holding it up to the mirror. And then she reads it and she's like, well, that was confusing. (laughs) I don't think I get it, even though I figured out how to read it. And then Jabberwocky kind of goes away. She holds on to the book for a little while. The following chapters, she encounters various chess pieces, like the, the Red Queen, and is told that she can traverse this land which is set up like a chessboard and so ultimately the the overall narrative of the book is her moving across the chessboard to try to be queened by reaching the other side in chapter four she meets tweedledum and tweedledee uh which if you remember the disney movie they appear in the disney movie but they're actually in through the looking glass not in alice in wonderland in chapter six she meets humpty dumpty 
and she talks to him about Jabberwocky and he provides some translation of the nonsense words and portmanteaus before his inevitable fall. After that, there's like the rest of the story. Again, I'm not really getting into through the looking glass, but we get the lion and the unicorn, which are constantly fighting. The Mad Hatter and the March Hare show up briefly, and eventually she makes her way across the board, and a bunch of confusing nonsense occurs with the White Queen and the Red Queen, and then she wakes up to find herself shaking not the Red Queen, but in fact her Black Kitten, and uh, then she has a kind of like metaphysical pondering in Chapter 12, wondering if in fact all of her life is but a dream. So that's Through the Looking Glass, and that's where Jabberwocky shows up in its entirety. Now, originally, the first stanza of it was published in 1855 in Mishmash, which is a periodical that Lewis Carroll wrote and illustrated for the amusement of his family from 1855 to 1862. Yeah, it just has a a bunch of his just kind of fun writings and he didn't yeah it was just for his family so mishmash had like i said in 1855 the first stanza and he wrote it in like faux medieval lettering so it it looks a little bit weird i'm not gonna like get into specifically what it is because it's an audio medium and it's hard to describe what letters look like when they don't look like normal letters it's considered that the story might have partly been inspired by local sunderland area legend of the lambton worm and the tale of the Sockborn Worm. The Lambton Worm is a legend from County Durham in Northeast England, and it's around the River Ware. It's a folklore about a big serpent that you know terrorizes people until it was supposedly killed by a man named John Lambton, who apparently was like a, a local hero. And the Sockburn Worm is a ferocious wyvern that laid waste to the village of Sockburn in Durham until it was finally slain by John Conyers. So these are just like, you know, folk tales of different creatures that may have inspired it. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's, you know, nonsense words and kind of a, you know, strange, not necessarily strange syntax, but just a, you know, nonsensical sort of setting. There were other works of the time that were similar that may have influenced it or may have just been like part of the zeitgeist, like the the world turned upside down, which is a poem. It doesn't use nonsense words so much, but it does kind of satirize things and, and sort of turn turn expectations on its head. Or the Grand Pendendrum by Samuel Foote. In 1871, a man named John Tenniel agreed to illustrate through the looking glass and that's where we get the original representations of the jabberwock and you know humpty dumpty and other sort of images that we associate with the poem and the story so they're like you know we've talked a lot about the nonsense words there are a lot of them in there made up words made up creatures things like that some of these words are defined by humpty dumpty when alice meets him and some of them later were defined by Lewis Carroll. And some of them are just kind of like, just kind of figure them out, right? So like the Bandersnatch and the Jub-Jub Bird are, are clearly creatures that don't exist. Bandersnatch is apparently a swift moving creature with snapping jaws capable of extending its neck. A bander was also an archaic word for leader, suggesting that Bandersnatch might be an animal that hunts the leader of a group. And in a later poem by Lewis Carroll called The Hunting of the Snark, 
written between 1874 and 1876, the Bandersnatch appears. And the, the hunting of the snark is set in the same, presumably the same island on which the Jabberwock was slain. And so the Bandersnatch appears there and it has the same kind of setting. And it also borrows like eight of the same portmanteau words that Jabberwocky also has. Some other ones, Borogove. Humpty Dumpty says a Borogove is a thin, shabby looking bird with its feathers sticking out all around, something like a live mop. Hmm. However, in Mishmash, Lewis Carroll described it differently, an extinct kind of parrot. They had no wings, beaks turned up, and made their nests under sundials, and they lived on veal. <laughs> Brillig, like the first line, "'Twas Brillig, apparently means, according to Humpty Dumpty, Brillig means four o'clock in the afternoon, the time ah. when you begin broiling <laughs> things for dinner. Okay. <laughs> "'Twas Brillig, the time you begin broiling things for dinner. Lewis Carroll could not remember exactly what burbled meant, it could be a combination of bleat or murmur or warble, but he didn't quite remember. Chortled is a word that has entered the actual lexicon of like, quote unquote, real words, along with like, I think, galumph. And there's like three words that are specifically entered in the OED. Chortled, galumphing, and I guess jabberwocky has sort of come to have, have a okay. more general meaning. Yeah, to gyre is to go around like a gyroscope or gyroscope. Mm-hmm. And from that time, apparently in Mishmash, he also said that it meant to scratch like a dog. Frabjus is possibly a blend of fair, fabulous, or joyous. Mm-hmm. Chortled, like we said, combination of chuckle and snort. Galumphing is a blend of gallop and triumphant. Mimsy means flimsy and miserable, according to Humpty Dumpty. According to Humpty Dumpty, a wrath or wraith, like the mome wraith, is a sort of green pig. But in Mishmash... Carol said that it is a species of land turtle, mouth erect, head erect, mouth like a shark, front forelegs curved out so that the animal walks on its knees, lives on swallows and oysters. Slithy means lithe and slimy. Mm -hmm. And toves, according to Humpty Dumpty, are something like badgers, something like lizards, something like corkscrews. They also live on cheese. As do I. (laughs) (laughs) Uffish, according to Lewis Carroll, it suggests a state of mind where the voice is gruffish, the manner is roughish, and the temper is huffish. Vorpal has just come to mean deadly or extremely sharp, and a wabe is the grass plot around a sundial, or wa- wabi. Wabi? Called a wa- ah. Because it goes a long way before it. W- waba. Waba. And a long way behind it. It's a waba. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So lots of words in there that could mean lots of things, but you might hear them come up at any point. And so I guess having a little bit of context about that makes sense. Jabberwocky has been translated into a lot of languages. And of course, using words that aren't actual real words, you know, poses a bit of an issue. And so a lot of times they create either equivalent words in the other language, but they also, many translations tried to keep the same kind of like meter or morphology like i i don't read these other languages so i can't really give you the translations but from what i understand if you were to go through the translations, some of them are like very similar sounding to the english nonsense words but sometimes they make up a new word to kind of get the the feeling across it has appeared or been referenced or inspired a bunch of different 
instances in media or in popular culture since then. A song called Beware the Jabberwock was written for the Disney 1951 film Alice in Wonderland, sung by Stan Freeberg. But it was tossed and was replaced with Twas Brillig, which was sung by the Cheshire Cat. And that includes the first stanza of Jabberwocky. There's an Alice in Wonderland sculpture in Central Park in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And it has a line from Jabberwocky inscribed on it. Boeing Duveen and the Beautiful Soup was a British group from the 60s that released a (laughs) single called Jabberwock based on the poem. Donovan, who is a singer and songwriter, also put the poem to music on a 1971 album. A uh, Czech short film was made in 1971 based on Jabberwocky. And then there's the Terry Gilliam 1977 like fantasy comedy called Jabberwocky which the poster uses the kind of original illustration from the book. American composer Sam Pottle in 1972 put the poem to music. Sam Pottle is best known for his music on Sesame Street and The Muppet Show. Hmm. There's a stage musical from 1973. A musical version of Jabberwocky was released in 1999 by Clive Nolan and Oliver Wakeman. It's been a lot. In 1978, the musical group Ambrosia included their text in the lyrics of Momofrog. In 1980, The Muppet Show staged a full version of Jabberwocky for TV, with the Jabberwock and other creatures played by Muppets, closely based on Tenniel's original illustrations. It distinguished itself by stressing the humor and nonsense of the poem, apparently. And the Jabberwock appeared in the 2010 Alice in Wonderland by Tim Burton and was voiced by Christopher Lee. Huh. It also, or a variation of it, appears in the Blizzard digital card game based on Warcraft called Hearthstone, and it's called the Shutterwalk, and it's a legendary creature. But the illustration is very similar. So similar that I wonder how they avoid copyright issues. Mm. In fact, it's pretty much the same. So that's Jabberwocky. Those are places it has shown up, and that's some information about it. Nice. And I don't know that there would be anything more to say. Yeah. You know? This is a lot more than I knew. Some of those nonsense words, like I had just sort of assigned my own meaning to them. So it's interesting to hear what Lewis Carroll intended by them. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, like, he gave different definitions of them Mm -hmm. at different times. Like, well, language evolves. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. within a person's (laughs) lifetime, clearly. Yeah. Oh, I I forgot to mention Snickersnack is possibly related to the large knife, the Snickersnee. Yes. Which one of us knows about. Yes, I got a, a question about the word snickersnee on Jeopardy. And I I guessed. I inferred. I was and like, well, that sounds like Snickersnack from Jabberwocky. And based on that, I think I'm going to guess sword. Mm-hmm. And and apparently, way back in the day, a snickersnee also meant a knife fight. Huh. So it could mean either the knife you're using or the fight you're in. Anyway, so there we go. Yeah. Cool. Are you ready for a quiz? Yes, I'm ready for a quiz. Okay, so this quiz will be impossible because it's entirely nonsense words. Good luck. Yay. I'm just kidding. It's not that. It's based on the three apparently now sort of mythical creatures that appear in the poem, the Jabberwock, the Jumjub, and the Bandersnatch. Okay. I would have been entirely on board for a a quiz about nonsense. (laughs) Probably probably the quiz itself should not have been nonsense, but you were like, nonsense words. I was like, great, here we go. (laughs) No, the answer is a nonsense word that you've never heard (laughs) before, so good luck. Okay, question one. Here we go. 
Not Jabberwock, but Jabber Jays are mutations utilized by the capital to spy on citizens and rebels in what dystopian young adult series? A similar genetically modified animal lends its name to the title of one of its books. Ah, it's The Hunger Games and Mockingjay is the, uh, yeah. Yes, it is The Hunger Games. Uh I have feelings about The Hunger Games. Yeah. But this is not a literary criticism podcast. Uh-huh. At least, not right now. Debrief at some point. <laughs> we can, we can, and it was clearly written for young adults. Mm. Uh, I yeah. think I'll leave it at that. Congratulations, you're at 25 points. 25 points, there we go, alright. Alright, question two. Okay, this one is a bit of a stretch, so okay. bear with me, uh, to the theme. Entrepreneurs Mike Evans and Matt Maloney founded a company in Chicago in 2004. They won the University of Chicago... Uh, Booth School of Business's Edward L. Kaplan New Venture Challenge with its business plan. Over the next 16 years, the business grew into new markets and acquired competitors. In 2020, it was acquired by the Dutch-based conglomerate Just Eat Takeaway. What online business am I talking about? I have no idea. All right. It was acquired by Just Eat Takeaway. And remember the theme. Going on Just Eat Takeaway, it sounds like we're talking about food delivery or something of that sort. I'm looking for a connection with Jabberwock, Jub Jub, or Bandersnatch. And all I've got is that Grubhub rhymes with Jub Jub. So I'm going to go with that. And if I'm wrong, I'm still really proud of the logic. No, that's exactly right. That's yes! what I was going for. Yes, <laughs> Grubhub. Not Yay! Jub Jub, but Grubhub. Yep. Nice. Uh, good. I'm glad you got there. It's like, I was thinking of questions. I am proud of your like, logic, Jub, Jub. too. That's great. <laughs> Jub Jub sounds like Grubhub. Uh-huh. How can I make this work? <laughs> yeah, nice. Very good. Yes. And I've given all of the information that I could think of about Grubhub already in the question, so I have nothing to add. Other than apparently those kinds of businesses are bad for independent restaurants Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so don't don't use them okay you are at 35 points question three not bandersnatch but just snatch is a film from the year 2000 starring an ensemble cast that includes benicio del toro jason statham and brad pitt the gentlemen get swept away in a complex series of plots within plots each trying to get their hands on a diamond that was stolen at the start of the film can you sherlock holmes your way to telling me who wrote and directed snatch Huh. I'm not sure I can. <laughs> All right, we've already got the theme tie-in. Yes. Yeah, um, the answer is not themed. Can I Sherlock Holmes my way? I don't know. I feel like Sherlock Holmes is supposed to maybe point me towards somebody who has a connection with a Sherlock Holmes adaptation, and I'm having a hard time bringing a single one of them to mind except for Benedict Cumberbatch. So I guess I will guess him, although I think it's too early for that to be the right answer. It is too early. This is Guy Ritchie. Oh, okay. He directed The Gentleman and Swept Away and the Robert Downey Jr. Ah, um, yep. Mm-hmm. Those things. Sherlock Holmes. Was... <laughs> yeah. I knew his name, but I, I I don't think I could have put him together with Sherlock Holmes successfully. Gotcha. Um, but nice. Yeah. All right, you are still at 35. Here is... Yeah. Question four. 
This one has all three of them. Ooh. Jabberwock, Jubjub, and Bandersnatch are part of a group of monsters called the Tain, which were invented by the Fey Lords as living weapons in what tabletop role-playing game? It is published by Paizo and recently saw a surge in popularity when Wizards of the Coast made a bunch of dumb plans to restrict their open gaming license for Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know if that also helped Nissan sell more SUVs, though. Hmm. The Nissan clue. I'm guessing that this game shares its name with a Nissan model, but I don't know my Nissan models well enough to remember which ones are SUVs. Hmm. Ultima would be a good name for a tabletop game of some kind, but I'm pretty sure that's not a SUV or a tabletop game as far as I know. I think that you just mentioned sometime during the deep dive, maybe Hearthstone, which mm-hmm. would come to mind, but isn't a car model. What else is there? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not getting it. I'm going to say Hearthstone, but I don't think that's correct. It is not. Hearthstone is a is a card game, although it's only digital. It's not tabletop. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We are looking for Pathfinder. Oh, well, that's a good name for a game. It I'm, is. I also, now that you say it, I'm like, oh, yes, a Nissan Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Paizo started Pathfinder back in... 2009 Hmm. 2007 something like that when wizards of the coast moved on to a new edition of dungeons and dragons and restricted their open gaming license so people at paizo were like we're gonna make our own game that's basically based on the old version of dungeons and dragons and then just in this last year Wizards of the Coast did another big thing talking about like how they're going to change their open gaming license and make everybody pay for things. And uh, mm. Paizo gained a lot of popularity because they were like, hey, y'all, come on over here. Play our game. We're cool with it. You can do what you want with our game. So anyway, nice. that's Pathfinder. All right. Cool. Question five. This one is the biggest stretch to the theme. So. Here we go. Entrepreneurs in many parts of the world who are just starting out may make ends meet by driving an auto rickshaw. In Southeast Asia, an auto rickshaw is often called what doublespeak word, which is also apparently a popular name for Thai restaurants in the U.S. What are those called? We went to Thailand, I mean, a long time ago now, but I've been in those. What are they called? Is the connection just that it is double talk? Like Yes. Yeah. Okay. Much. I'm trying to get it to come to me. Mm. My brain very helpfully right now is like a dick dick is a small antelope from <laughs> Africa. Like, it, is, yes. it is. With big um, adorable eyes. Yeah. It's true. It's not relevant. <laughs> I think it's a like a Tuck, 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 tick, tuck, 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 I'm going to go with that. Wow. You got there. That's amazing. Yes, it is a tuck, tuck. Yay. However you want to pronounce it. Yeah. I was like, okay, jub, jub, 
<laughs> tuk tuk. <laughs> I All see right, it. let's, I let's see make it. this Go work. With it. No, it's good. It works. <laughs> and I Googled it, and it's just like page after page of Thai restaurants called tuk tuk. And I was like, well, this doesn't help me. All right, fine. Nice. Cool. All right, so you were at 45 points? That's yes. what I have, yeah. 45 points. And the final category is somewhat recent TV slash movies. All right. I guess I'm not going to get to 100 regardless. Yeah. I'll wager 35 of them. Okay. For a total of 80, here is your final question. With over one trillion possible paths for the viewer to take, Bandersnatch is the title of a standalone interactive film released on Netflix in 2018. It came out between the fourth and fifth seasons of what science fiction anthology series, A Modern Day Twilight Zone? I think that's Black Mirror. That is Black Mirror. Yes. You got it. <laughs> I was fast on one after making you sit there for five minutes while I yeah, okay. got to Tuck Tuck. <laughs> That's okay. This is the good one to be fast on. Congratulations. Very Thank nice. You. So Black you got Mirror. Points. Black yeah. Great. Unsettling, though. But y- yeah. I haven't actually seen Bandersnatch. I have to ration the Black Mirror episodes out because, like, they're too unsettling to watch, mm-hmm. like, more than, like, one a month or so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds fascinating. And the way that they put Bandersnatch together is like very interesting so maybe i'll check it out well congratulations you got 80 points yay well thank you for a great quiz and and deep dive and for you know making a podcast with me of course course. um yeah and thank you listeners for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you would if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who are fans of jeopardy let them know about our podcast you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. 